I was really not sure I wanted to do this interview, to be honest with you. Welcome to the Farm Hop Life podcast. I'm Matt. Today, my guest is Jeffrey Long of Long Story Farm in South Carolina. How's it going, Jeffrey? Very well, Matt. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you being here. So I wanted to start off with your pinned tweet. Um, you're very, very active on Twitter, and I thought this was a perfect segue into getting started. You wrote, when I started this journey to becoming a farmer, I was only doing what five-year-old me always knew I would do. I I love that. I oh, thank uh, you. That's great. So how did you start? Well, um, yeah, it's kind of a long, a long story, which is part of the reason we named this farm. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's really... You know, the reason we named this, the farm that way, um, my, my last name's Long, so uh, there's there's a long tradition of uh, farming. You know, basically, southern dirt farmers are my ancestors, you know. Um, and, you know, my dad's the first generation that wasn't a farmer um, in forever. Uh, and so, you know, I grew up going to my grandparents' farms, um, always loved the John Deere tractors, just completely envisioned myself one day you know, at the head of this, you know, whatever, 36 row planter, just, you know, cruising across the fields or whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I got a bunch of, uh, John Deere, you know, the, like the cast, uh, the metal, you know, cast metal yeah. job tractors for Christmas one year. And I just, you know, just my imagination just took me there. Um, and you know, as you get older, you know, and you're in high school and, and whatnot, and people are like, Oh, you're going to go to college. And, you, know, you shouldn't stick around here as rural towns just 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 too much opportunity for you you know you you know whatever um and you start like letting go of those dreams that you had as a kid and um so that's kind of what i what happened with me you know i i was um you know i was college prep or gifted or whatever kind of stuff and there's a lot of you know encouragement to you know leave the rural uh area behind and we were living in an area it wasn't too rural it was kind of a rural becoming a becoming a bedroom community um but still a lot of encouragement to you know, kind of move on so uh i did you know i kind of you know changed my dreams up and i was thinking you know i wanted to be a politician maybe and um just you know started thinking about different things and uh what what happened was you know when i was like um let's see i guess i was uh shouldn't date myself too much but you know i was middle age let's say um, my mom got cancer. She passed away. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. My dad got cancer. He passed away. Uh, when my dad died, man, he had always been, always had his prolific garden. Um, man, it just, something just switched to me and I'm like, I gotta grow some food, man. I cannot continue this life without growing up some food. So we lived in a courtyard home, started growing food as much as I could. I probably had about 60 different plants growing in, in raised nice. beds. A little courtyard, you know. Uh, I had six laying hens. Eventually, the uh, HOA found out about that. They weren't too pleased, so you know, had to move on. Uh, at that point, I was really, you know, driven to find uh, sure. a place. So that's when we started looking for land, and we got really lucky. We found a a great place, and um, you know, it kind of all fell into place, I and mean, it worked out, and. Uh, the thing is, right, right when we signed the contract, my my job took me to South America. So I moved to South America for work and really couldn't do anything with the land. So sure, yeah. Yeah. You know, one more thing I'll just mention about that. When I was uh when I was a kid, I was I was 13, my grandfather had retired. He was the principal of the high school, local high school here. He had retired and he was he was just doing a little, you know, garden. It was like five acres. And he he had won you know, he won prize. He won uh, best sweet potato at the county fair or something. He had 21 pounds sweet potato and he could Dang. grow tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> he could grow tomatoes like nobody I've ever, you know, I've never seen anyone grow tomatoes, but he grew tomatoes. I mean, just incredibly, just huge, just really nice. Um, you know, some of the simple pleasures I remember as a kid were, you know, miracle whip on white bread with, you know, <laughs> tomatoes, you know, it's like a big tomato sandwich, salt and pepper, it's kind of southern sure. thing. Um, so, you know, I worked with him one summer with that truck farm kind of thing that he was doing and 
loved it, man. Just really loved it. I was 13 and, uh, you know, listening to my grandfather tell stories about all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, everything from being an educator during the civil rights movement, you know, all the way up to, uh, you know, watching the, the things like the pick program, uh, you know, big USDA program where it's paying farmers to leave fields fallow and things like that. Just incredible experience listening to him talk about it on my mother's side. My grandfather was a uh, rural mail carrier and he had about a 40 acre farm. They grew peaches and watermelons and things like that. So, you know, every year we were canning peaches and, and all that. And just, just feels like coming home, you know? So nice. That's very cool. Um, side note about your, your grandpa's tomatoes. Did you save any of that seed or is that, is that gone? No, I mean, he, he grew, you know, pretty standard, like hybrids. Okay. Um, I didn't know if know, he like yeah. made his own or kept this, mm-hmm. like this one always does the best or whatever. Not that I remember. I think he ordered from a catalog. and I remember, you know, uh, I, I want to say better boy or something like that. Okay. Uh, I, I could, if I looked them up, I could figure out what they were, but um, I, I did meet a guy here locally um, in the farmer's market last year. I actually put this on Twitter. He's, he's got <laughs> seeds that were handed down from his family for 200 years. Whoa. And, uh, yeah. I, I um, am, have been remiss and not getting with him sooner, but got to go uh, touch, you know, touch base with him. He's offered to give us some seeds. So that's really awesome excited about that. Yeah. Those kind of connections, they always start so small like that and then it just like blooms into like something like you wouldn't even imagine i I mean you know it's amazing just locally we're we're trying to we we really want to be part of this community my family's from here um you know we we just want to be part of the community and and whatever that takes i mean if we just end up being homesteaders that go to the farmer's market and it never does more than that that's going to be you know we're going to be part of the community one way or the other um I, i i aspire to more but you know who knows you know um but man, we've, we've met so many people that are into this, you know, that want good food, uh, that want community. Um, uh, it's a great local downtown community kind of, you know, guys thinking about how are we going to grow our community and, and be, you know, more self-sufficient as a community trade with each other, um, help each other. So it's really cool. Great vibe. Definitely. Here. Yeah. yeah. So then after South America, how long until like, so when you got back from South America, yeah, how long has it been in that like from then until now? So like yeah, so you got, got yeah, yeah, we got back right at the end of 2016. And I, when I say okay. at the end, I mean we literally landed I think December 22nd or something like that. It was <laughs> you know right before Christmas. Uh, I think we were in a residence inn for Christmas, <laughs> you know, just kind of getting uh, getting acclimated, um, you know, back in the states and. Uh, so we had the land and, and we were living, we moved into an apartment uh, downtown and uh, just, you know, we, we would come out here and, we you know, try to plant some trees and do a little gardening and stuff, stuff like that. And, um, you know, we didn't really get serious about living out here until about two years ago. So um, we had chickens a little before we moved out here. Um, so we, we were doing, we were getting active, you know, we planted, the first thing we did was we planted a, um, about a two and a half, three acre kind of permaculture food forest, forest garden kind of concept, uh, all orchard spacing, about 40 or so different species. Um, Did you design it? No, a friend of mine, his name is Matt Kipp. Um, That's cool. Yeah, he designed it. He's uh, Now, he designed it, and then um, we, we, we were delayed in planting, and so a lot of the – he had laid everything out with flags and everything. By the time we went back, we finally got things figured out again that, you know, just – it just, you know, fits and starts with me having a, a pretty demanding corporate job and everything. Yeah. Um, by the time we got back to it, I think we, we kind of had to improvise a little bit, but we, we stayed pretty true to, you know, the, the, the basic principles. We have a, a, um, kind of a canopy, uh, level along one edge because there's, there's a, a little road there, like an old logging road that we use now as in the part of the farm on the other side of that, it's a bunch of, um, <clears throat> sweet gums and, and uh, oaks and stuff like that, deciduous hardwoods, you know, generally. Yeah. Um, and so we kept this canopy layer along the edge there. And then as it goes towards the south, it, it, it goes, the layers go down. So the stories, you know, on the, on the south edge was a windrow and, and right to the north side of that is where a lot of the berry plants are, things like that. Um, so, you know, we had an idea of maybe putting a house over there. That didn't really work out. Uh, so it's kind of, we, we didn't really follow 
you know, basic zone zero type. <laughs> that didn't work out because we didn't put the house there. But um, we do follow that from a point of view of like where our main the center of our farm is, is kind of our zone. I guess you call it zone one, maybe. But yeah, anyway, it just kind of goes out from there. And um, the farm is the farm is a little ways from where we actually live now. On the, but it's all on the same, you know, on the property. It's just, you know, it's, it's uh, about a okay. 10 minute walk. 10 minute walk I was going to ask. Uh, was there a house on the property when you bought it? No, no, it was pretty much raw land. Um, yeah, pretty much raw land. So it was about uh, about half deciduous hardwoods, half plantation pines, and uh, we made a deal uh, with this with the seller to she would clear cut some of the pines that would help her out on the money side. Oh, sure. leave us Some space to work. So cool. Yeah. So what? What kind of livestock do you have on your farm right now and why'd you pick it? Yeah, well, we can't, we, so basically, you know, just for some context, I, I have a, I still have a pretty demanding corporate job. Yeah. Um, I was habitually, well, it, what's going on before the pandemic is I was flying every week uh, somewhere, you know, and uh, most of the time that was pretty far away. So uh I was not able to, I would come home on a Friday evening or something like that. And basically I would just work on the farm, you know, Saturday, Sunday, and then fly out again. And so we were keeping it pretty small. We were just trying to, you know, keep the fruit trees and nut trees going and do a little gardening. We had some chickens and we wanted to get, you know, we wanted to do more, but we just had to, we were just taking our time because I just didn't have time to dedicate to it. Uh, when the pandemic started, I didn't travel as much, um, even though, they're still, I mean, from a work perspective, my days are pretty busy. I don't have a lot of time to do anything during the week. So I'm pretty much still a weekend farmer, but um, it's a little easier logistically with me not traveling. So oh, uh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So we stepped up a little bit and we, we fenced in an area. Um, and uh, so we, right now we have some cows, we have a few goats, we have some pigs um, and uh we have two donkeys. The donkeys were rescues. Um, That's cool. Literally got a call from a guy. He's like, hey, man, uh, there's a guy, a guy I know that does, um, a guy I buy some hay from. Uh, he runs a few uh, red Angus, a uh, little red Angus herd. Um, and I buy hay from him. And he has another uh, friend, I guess a mutual friend, I know him too. But he, he, does, uh, he does some cattle, which he sells. Uh, I'm not sure exactly through whom. But he does sell into like the Whole Foods distribution network somehow. Hmm. Um, so you know, again, does connections with people that care about the quality of the food and all that. It's it's not hard to find here, which is really cool. But yeah. anyway, he he um so he runs a his day job is running a, a a tree service, and one of the guys that comes out to service some of the equipment said, "Hey, I got these donkeys, and it's not working out with my goats." And uh, so that kind of that that uh, message came through the you know, the, the bat phone or whatever. And I got a call and it's like, Hey, can, uh, if you can, you know, if you don't come pick, but, uh, I don't want to talk bad about the guy. I think the guy, the, the donkeys were causing trouble with the goats, probably just not enough space. Um, and, uh, too many sure. goats, I don't know, whatever. Um, but he, the way it was framed to me was if you don't come pick them up, I'm going to shoot them. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I'd take that literally, but you know, he was, he was like, they've got to get out of here. So never know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I went over there and just, and uh, we loaded them up and I brought them over here and man, they, they have flourished. Um, and they're, they're probably, honestly, they're probably, they probably saved some of our goats from the coyotes. You know, they're, they're, my understanding is uh, the coyotes won't come within, you know, they, 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 they take wide berth around those guys. So. Yeah. They don't want to get the crap stomped out of them or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, so um, between we so we have the donkeys, the, the, we we want when we started with the dairy uh, with the cows was dairy. My wife wanted a Jersey. Um, I love the idea from a homestead perspective of having having milk. We're not Absolutely. doing dairy. Yeah, we're not doing dairy from a farming perspective. That's pretty rigorous state inspection. We don't have the infrastructure really for that right now. Um, I mean, I guess that could happen in the future, but it's not something we're planning for. Um, so we got we started with one one Jersey. She was bred. We brought along a, a steer calf with her just so she wouldn't be by herself. Um, she had a calf. She's super productive. So we got a bottle calf to go with her, um, nice. which, which she adopted, which was, I mean, 
we've been pretty lucky on some of that stuff because you know a lot of people say that's really hard and mm -hmm. it, it worked out for us but um yeah so so that's that's our little little cow herd and we added another jersey this um just a few months ago and she just had a calf so he's about that's awesome old. that's good that uh that the heifer right that um took to that calf i I once worked on a on a ranch in Montana many years ago, mm -hmm. and this this uh, milk cow's calf had died, and this other one's yeah. mom had died. I don't know. It was weird. So, so this was before I got here, like just before. What they did is that they skinned the dead calf, wrapped the hide. Of, of the dead one in the the calf that lost its mom or the mom rejected or whatever the deal was. And so it kind of smelled like yeah. the the other calf and it worked. And I was like, when she told me that story, I like lost my mind. I'm like, yeah. that sounds mm. so crazy. <laughs> that's hard. To, that's hard to take. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if I could do that. Um, what, you know, what they told us was, um, put some of the mother's milk on the bottle calf. Um, and mm -hmm. you know, we, what we would do is we would, we would pull her into the milking stanchion, which is basically, it's a head gate. We have a little chute with a head gate that we set up. Um, and so we use that as our milking stanchion. So we would put her in the milking stanchion and get her, start getting her ready to milk. And we would let the calf come in and uh, she would kick him ferociously the first few times, but he, he was, uh, you know, he had a little fight in him and, and he kept going back and she finally was like, okay, you know, you can be my kid mm -hmm. now. So, and, uh, and he's now, we've left him intact. So he's a, he's a Jersey, uh, bull. Um, he's living up to the reputation of Jersey bulls. So I'll just say that I've mentioned that on Twitter once, but he's, he's an ornery little cuss so we have to watch <laughs> you cannot turn your back on that guy man when you're in the when you're in the pasture you've got to be like head on a swivel that guy's he's yeah he's tough yeah that same place um i was i was feeding them one day and like that that jersey or whatever she was the most productive but man she had an attitude and like i don't know she like sensed something like i was off one day or whatever she like bucked her head and her horns were tipped or whatever. And it caught me right below the eye and like broke the skin. I'm glad I didn't break my cheekbone. I mean, it was hard. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, get it. I think that, you know, the challenge we have is that with him being a bottle calf, he's really affectionate with us mm. and he doesn't know that he's, you know, he's pushing probably 700 pounds now, I'm guessing, but yeah, I don't know, six or seven probably. And he, you know, if he comes up to the kind of nuzzle you, like he would do when he was a, you know, baby calf, and he can knock you on your butt. You know, you gotta. <laughs> oh yeah, swinging that head around and yeah. So you yeah. said you mentioned goats. Are they for yeah. meat or dairy? Well, uh, so they're American pygmy. So uh, it really, you know, there's a lot of things we've done. This is, you know, I mentioned to you uh, some of the things you have to figure out what we're doing. That's a farm and what's the homestead. And the goats is one of those things that. Um, you know, I, I think with the dairy cows, you know, we're getting some beef cows out of it. We've got the milk. The milk is a closed loop on our farm. We, we, we eat or we consume whatever dairy products we need. Uh, we don't, we don't have to milk every day because of the bottle calf and stuff like that. The, the, um, you know, once we wean off the older calves, which is, you know, we're due to do that. We should probably, well, should have, I mean, nature will take its course, but, um, it, once we wean them, we would have a lot of milk and, and we're giving that to the pigs and the chickens and whatever. When we have extra, we're feeding it to the other animals. So there's a closed loop there, a pretty clear relationship to what we're doing from a farming perspective, because we are selling chickens, chicken, ducks, eggs, and pork. Uh, the goats, not as clear cut, a pygmy, you know, that breed, I mean, we can do a little bit of meat and milk is a good homestead breed. It's smaller. It's easy to manage relatively speaking, I mean, they're goats, they can get out of whatever they want to get out of. But um, I think it really came down to, we, we saw a lady that her husband was, uh, it, this is kind of where we're not great business people, maybe with this farm, but you know, a lady was like uh, down on her luck and her husband couldn't take care of him anymore. And she wanted the herd to stay together. So we, we stepped in and, and, uh, and bought them from her. And um, I think, you know, we've Brett, we've, we've been lucky. I mean, we've, we've got some, um, you know, we've had several, 
now I guess the second um, kidding since we got them, uh, we sold some of those more just like almost like breeding, just like, just selling them to other homesteaders. Um, but I think what we really were thinking was we could use them to help clear some of the land. We have an area with a bunch of old stand pecan trees, and I'm guessing these are 70 year old trees, probably something like that. And they're wow. still they're still producing, but underneath them, there's a bunch of scrub and privet and you know sweet gums and small oaks and stuff like that. So my my idea is to pin them up under those pecan trees, let them take take as much of that out as they can, and go in there with a with a chainsaw and see if I can't harvest a few pecans in the you know next fall. So that's kind of what we're thinking right now. So I think we thought, you know, the goats help us clear land and they've done a great job on the pasture of getting rid of some of the stuff that was causing us some, some concern. Um, a lot of the wild blackberry, you know, just briars basically, but they're wild blackberries and, you know, in April, May, June, they're briars rest of the year. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're pretty thorny. So, sure. uh, and we were worried about that. Just, you know, heard some stories about, um, what is it called? Black leg, black leg disease. I'm getting it right. Black something disease. That, right, I'm not familiar. Uh, it's a bacterial infection that cows can get. And apparently the blackberries, uh, the thorns and stuff can, can kind of create that, that condition or not. Hmm. creates a condition that's more, more uh, advantageous for the bacteria. So we were kind of, I was kind of worried about that. Maybe I'm over worried about it. I just heard Joel Salatin talking about it one time where he said he had to bush hog some, some blackberries because the cows got in there and a couple of them got black leg disease. And oh, and, no. and, um, so maybe I was more worried than I should have been. I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, I just heard him tell the story and, and I've, you know, I know that they inoculate against it around here. Um, so anyway, um, the, the sweet gums and the blackberries, the goats really keep those completely down, which is awesome. And they, they do a good job with the privet too. So some of those species that really, really don't care about having on the pasture, um, they've been, they've been really good about kind of cleaning that up. Uh, so some of the wind, the old windrows that were pushed up after the land was cleared, um, you can see through them now. It used to be that they were just big thickets and now you can see, see through them and the, the goats and the cows, you know, walk through them and, and use them for shade or whatever. That's kind of cool, but I think we'll, we'll yeah. try to move them to get them, you know, take more advantage of their ability to, to take out some of that vegetation. What herbs are you growing and why do you grow those ones? Well, you know, I, I, I uh, part of my journey is I, I worked as a chef, I guess. I mean, I, I wasn't really a, a you know, trained um, chef kind of, I worked with a, a really talented chef and, and uh, his sous chef after he took over the restaurant for a little while. And I love food and um, ran that kitchen for uh, about a year. Um, so my, my food journey kind of started with, with that, with cooking. You know, I love cooking. I still love cooking. Um, and so I really started growing herbs more to keep them around because I use them a lot, you know, use them in stock and, you know, bone broth, that kind of stuff. Um, so right now we, we have, um, we have uh, lavender, which we got for another homesteader. Uh, it's a species. I don't know what the variety is, but it does a lot better here than anything I've bought from any other, any other thing, any other lavender I've tried. This is a lot, lot more hardy for this area. But we have uh, lavender, rosemary, oregano. We have about three or four different varieties of mint. Um, we have a bay, a bay laurel, uh, which is cool having that around. Um, let's see what else. Uh, some, we have some thyme. And we have, we have the bay laurel, and then we have kind of a guild of herbs around the bay laurel uh, out in the food forest, which is kind of a cool thing. Um, and then we, we've been growing dill and cilantro um, that that we're, you know, we've been selling, which is, it's been a pretty good seller, uh, relatively speaking. Um, I want to do more with herbs. I got a bunch of seed for this year and you know, try to do more with that. I, I think the problem around here is they do grow pretty well. And so there's not a lot of demand for that because people can, you know, they can grow them on their kitchen counter. You know what I mean? Sure. So unless someone's really using a lot of them, you know, oh, we have basil as well. I, I might've missed a couple, but we, you know, I just have a bunch of box that, like, um, there's a, buddy of mine who works at a, um, a, a manufacturing plant nearby and they, they get these big ingots of metal and uh, they come in these wooden boxes and they're great little, little garden boxes. So I just have, herbs. Cool. yeah, they're all planted out in those boxes. So <laughs> that's kind of neat, you know, <clears throat> keeps them contained and helps to keep the weeds out of them and stuff like that. So, uh, they get a little dry in the summer. That's really hard to keep them wet in the summers because it's so hot here, but, 
other than that, it, it's a great, it, it's working great. I think I'm going to try to expand it and uh, I'll have to move them out of the boxes, but that's a project that I might not get to in the, for a while. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Sure. Yeah. Um, so if you could, <laughs> Farmer's market, how well do you guys do at the farmer's market? Yeah, so, la I mean, 2021 was our first year going to the market. Oh, okay. um, we did sell a little bit in 2020, um, just right around uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas. We had some turkeys we'd raised and, and a few chickens and eggs that we were able to sell. Uh, and we weren't, you know, you know, full disclosure, we weren't really uh, fully signed up with the state on all that stuff. So we got that I won't stuff. Tell anybody. <laughs> yeah, would hate for that to get out. Um, we got that, that that worked out by by the end of June. So we went to the farmers market, um, you know, in July actually of 2021, and we did great. Our first our first day uh, it was it's a Saturday market. They do it pretty much every Saturday during the summer, and then one Saturday a month in the fall and, uh, through December. Um, and you know, I would say we averaged, um, you know, dollar figure wise, I mean, it's not it's, when I say great. For us, for our first summer out, it, it felt great. We did about $300 a day on average. That's amazing. So, I mean, the year before you were making zero, so $300 yeah. is pretty dang good. Yeah, and a lot of, a lot of the local farmers we've spoken to, they've, they've indicated that, uh, well, first of all, that market where we go, it's a little tiny market. I mean, it's, I mean, tiny. Um, uh, most of the farmers that go through there, they, they end up building up a clientele list and they, they don't go back to the market. Um, Sure. And you know, I, I think you know we may we may be on that type of journey if we continue to grow our business. But um, you know, the market's a it's a cool place to meet people and to be part of the community. So it's it's working well for us in that regard as well. Um, yeah, so that's what we've done so far. We're doing a little bit of marketing on Facebook, uh, not any paid advertising. Just we just have a, a, a farm page, and we you know we try to let people know what's going on there. But again, I mean, I have a I have a, a pretty tough job. Um, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of time for that. I'm trying to do better, but just setting aside a little time every weekend to do something. Um, that's about the extent of our marketing. And, and, you know, we did pretty well. I think closing out the year, we did pretty well. Um, Good. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So you're, you're really more using the farmer's market as like a networking tool and this, yeah. the cash is nice, but it's really like, Hey, can I get your contact info and let right. you know about this or that if you're interested? Yeah, exactly. That's that's our thought process is just use it as a way to get to know people in the community. Um, hopefully we can pick up a couple of restaurant accounts with some of the people downtown that are that are you know wanting to do some local things. I think, we, you know, we've got a chance to do something with the pork and, and the duck eggs in particular. Uh, you know, some of there's a, you know, some of the some of the restaurants are doing their own pastries and things. And so that baking would be really great with some duck eggs I mean, duck eggs are fantastic for for cakes and custards and stuff like that. So definitely I'm hoping we can make some roads there. I was going to ask what breed of pig. Ah, yeah. So, um, we, we, um, we met a farmer and, and we love these guys. It's called Woodland Valley farms. And, uh, so it's, it's Chase and Alyssa. And, uh, they're younger than me by, by more than a decade, I think. Uh, but they've also been farming, a lot longer than me by more than a decade. So uh, it's really interesting to have someone who's really been a bit of a mentor. We, we've actually, you know, I've actually worked with, with Chase on like a consulting arrangement. Um, and, and they're both just very knowledgeable. Um, they recently got married and we just really love them. They're, they're just great people. And they, they have a breeding program for, for, for pigs and they, they have Berkshire Ossabaugh cross. And so okay. the Ossabaugh, you know, um, kind of uh my understanding at least um Ospa island off of georgia some some people brought some of the the black-haired spanish pigs over and kind of kind of became a breed and uh we love them they, they do a great job to, for uh you know foraging and rooting and we're using them definitely using them to clear um clear out some of those brambles and things and um and that the, the meat's delicious we we're we're doing really well uh, people really really enjoy the pork i've i don't think i've had a single complaint um so it's just been, it's been great. Um, it's got a, a, a nice um, kind of red color to the meat. Uh, it's pretty flavorful. Ours are eating a lot of blackberry, wild blackberry roots and, and, and leaves and stuff. And, um, you know, we, we, we have a non-GMO feed source that we're, we're using. It's, uh, it's obviously grain-based and everything. We'd like to do, uh, you know, 
get them on a better rotation. Um, they're, they've been harder to manage them than I think we expected from a sure. keeping them in and everything like that. But, uh, we're, we're trying to get better at that and get bigger. Um, I'd like to, uh, right now, I think, you know, we're on a pace to do about, about 25, 24, 25 pigs a year. And that's including us eating probably a couple of those, but, um, nice. I'd like to get up to about, uh, I think we could sell, you know, I think, you know, maybe a reasonable goal for 2022 would be maybe, maybe, uh, 40 or 50 pigs. I think that's what we're going to go for something like that. That's very nice. What do they finish out at? Um, I'm trying to, to get them up to around 300 pounds. Um, it it just depends what, what I did last, the last batch, I got six, six piglets. Um, and, uh, I took three early. So they were around 160, 180, uh, on the hoof. And then, uh, the other three I'm going to take this week and they're going to be 300 ish on the hoof. Wow. And that that's a that's a nice pork chop, man. It's really, really I, nice. I bet it is. <laughs> yeah. So what do you what do you charge per pound for um, pork? Yeah, so we're we're probably a little underpriced right now. Um, I'm trying to f- figure out the market. I'm not worried. I, I, I shouldn't say I'm not worried. I'm not pricing cost plus or cost basis. Really. I'm, I'm looking at the market and what I think I can get for them. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, um, figure that part out. So I, I'm a little below what I probably should be charging. I'll just say that up front. Um, okay. we're charging, we're charging around, you know, 10 or $12 a pound for the, the main products that we're selling. So the, the bacon, smoked bacon, sausage, pork chops, those are, you know, $12 on the high end, uh, $10 on the low end. And then we have some of the other cuts we're doing like $8, $7.50, something like that. And we'll sell the the hocks and the other stuff a little cheaper than that. So we, we, we offer all of it. And we, you know, we have sold, um, you know, shanks and uh, leaf fat and different things. Not as much demand for those things as I was hoping, but hmm. um, we are, we are selling some of that at the market. Um, are are your customers able to buy those individual cuts from you directly? Yeah, we, so the way, I, I don't know how it works everywhere else, but in, uh, in uh, South Carolina, we, you have to have a meat, uh, let's see, it's a, a meat handler's license or a permit or something like that. I can't remember what it's okay. called. So you, you get that from the state. And as long as you're using a, a you know, an inspected processor, um, yeah. that's fine. And you can do whatever you want with the cuts. So the processor, we can't butcher anything, of course, but we take ours to a USDA processor. And, uh, so we, we, you know, we come, we, we got sausage. We, we usually carry around six or seven different flavors of sausage. We have uh smoked bacon, non, non, uh, uncured smoked bacon, um, and everything else in cuts. And we'll do some loin roast, some ham roast, some half hams, whole hams, um, fresh sliced bellies, salted and fresh fat back you know so that's how we nice. normally have them sliced up yeah that's cool how it how it works here i'm in montana i don't know if you knew mm-hmm. that um i have so like i bought a lamb last year from a guy i paid him for the lamb plus a transport fee to the processor and then the mm-hmm. processor had the kill fee and then you know obviously all the cuts it was like price per pound and then if you're over a certain weight it's a little bit less or whatever so then i get it from the processor not necessarily a farmer now i could probably get it from the farmer if he had his like more stuff i guess like you know hey i'm usda certified blah 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 whatever blah 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 but it's just less work for him doing it this way and so it's like i don't mind it's just it's just different yeah well we uh, you know i don't know it's a, it's a bit of a catch-22 we're pretty private people in terms of um you know we don't we don't put like i don't i don't put my real name on twitter i don't talk about it um you know but it's not i'm not like hiding it you know but we're not we're not we haven't been out there. I, I was really not sure I wanted to do this interview, to be honest with you, because I just we've just got the low key. Um, Fair enough. The the challenge, though, if you want to be if you really want if you're serious about, you know, I'll just I'll be idealistic for a minute. If you're serious about changing the world and how people eat their food and and how your community supports itself and, and all that, 
you have to put your you have to put yourself out there. And even though I I kind of hate you know giving all this information to the government and all that stuff, that's the only way to really make these products accessible to people. Yeah. Um, you know that that I think need it. You know, I I I look at the world right now and and see uh, a lot of things happening that I think are a result of just not not eating right. You know, I mean. Big motivation for me is my 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 little sister. I didn't get to this part. My little sister also died of cancer, and um, Dang, you know, like, man, yeah, that pretty, is rough. So when you see that happen to your family, and and I came to the conclusion that food is part part of the problem. I, I mm. think there's a ton of other things going on in the world, obviously, and you know I'm worried about everything from the electromagnetic um, pollution, I'll call it, uh, to chemical pollution and, and other things, and and certainly the you know, we don't really understand the epigenetics behind some of these things. We don't know what's going to happen to our offspring and their offspring as a result of some of the things we're doing to ourselves. So sure. I became really concerned about food as a, uh, you know, for our, for our family. And then obviously I, if I, if I'm serious, I, I care about other people having the same access, the same quality of food. So yeah. you're going to do that. You have to put yourself out there. And so that's, that's kind of where we are putting ourselves out there a little more now and, and saying, hey, we want to be part of the solution. I did notice that you are very selective on what you post on Twitter. Like, I have no idea what you looked like. And I like you had posted a thing about playing with Legos, like you're recreating like a Star Wars scene in the snow with your kids. And you, I'm assuming it was intentional. You didn't have your kids in the photo that you posted. Yeah. yeah. I'm not I, cool I with that. that. Yeah. <laughs> I picked yeah, up on that. Yeah, I'm not good with putting the kids on social media. Um, you know, there, there's some, they're, they're on there some, with, you know, um, some other stuff. But yeah, we're, we're pretty careful about that. I mean, uh, we'll let them make some of those decisions when they're older, if they want to do it or not. Sure. Sure. Yep. Um, so I, we, we just touched on it a little bit about, you know, the um, unfortunate cancer with your family. Mm-hmm. Um, but what motive, so like that kind of motivates you to grow your own food. Is there more to what motivates you to grow your own food? Yeah. I, so, um, yeah, I, I really just, you know, I, I think the world isn't heading in a, in a great direction. So I'd like to have that, you know, a, an element of self-sufficiency, um, you know, for our family, but also, like I said, for the community, I, I really, you know, what I would love to see is a situation where our food supply chains are much shorter than they are. And, and again, I'd like to be part of that solution. So uh, I think the big motivations for me are, uh, you know, first and foremost is, is health. Um, another big motivation is, you know, the land, healing the land as much as we can. And then uh, the, the third thing, or I'm not saying priority, I don't even know, but, right. um, you know, is that that idea of the community and just, you know, why can't we provide for our own, you know, our own needs locally? Why can't we? You know, let's just, let's try, you know, maybe, maybe I can, uh, you know, I can get hay from my guy, my guy, and I can get him some pork and I can get, you know, uh, maybe feed for another guy. And I can, you know, I can get grain from, I have a cousin who does, uh, row cropping con- on contour, um, uh, not too far from here. And, you know, I get wheat straw from him and, you know, I was talking, I was talking about, um, you know, maybe again, I mentioned this on Twitter the other day, but I was talking about what if I source grain from my cousin made, you know, got a hammer mill, made my own, uh, feed for the pigs. Um, and there was a guy, a guy on there who, uh, suggested using barley sprouted, you know, um, I guess like, almost like a microgreen kind of sprouting system hmm. to make fodder. So I would love to figure out a way to source all that stuff, you know, here, I, I have to drive about an hour and a half to get non GMO feed right now. Uh, wow. I, I can only get it. I can only get it in bags and, and, I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, there, there are certainly advantages, but you know, man, that's, that's a lot, you know, um, 50 pound bags. I'm not getting any younger, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I can't see myself hefting those 50 pound bags for another you know, 10 or 15 years, which is what I would need to do to see this thing actually all the way through, you know, but I'm not yeah. sure. That. Um, one thing that we have in our area for, um, it's uh, it's Montana Poultry Growers Co-op, mm-hmm. and they partnered with a non-GMO organic seed company in like central Montana somewhere. I forget exactly right. where. And so we buy it like 
collectively as like uh, at a discounted rate. Like you go to the store down the street from me or whatever, and it's like thirty thirty five dollars for a forty pound bag. Whereas if right. I get it through here, it's about twenty dollars for a fifty pound bag. And right. um, so I don't know if that's something that's available to you in your area or um, or maybe it needs to get started. Yeah. I don't know. I, I know so. you got you're not doing enough now, so you should probably yeah. just. Well, yeah, I, I, I did run across some, some people on face on a Facebook group, um, for like, you know, local farmers. And there was some people saying, Hey, we should do like a co-op. And I'm like, yeah, I would love to do that. I would love to like, you know, ring up a farmer and say, Hey, drop off two tractor trailer loads of, you know, organic peas and, you know, whatever. And, and let's come up with a formula and, and but, uh, again, I, I can't take that on right now. Um, I mean, it's all I can do, Yeah, you know, we, you know, the thing is that I'm, I consider myself an honorable guy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to shortchange my employer, you know, um, <clears throat> my employer, you know, we, we have a deal. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to back, back down from that. Sure. <clears throat> I'm committed to the job, to getting the job done and doing it right and all that. And, uh, the, <clears throat> you know, the position I have, it requires a pretty hefty time commitment. And, and that, that is what it is. I, I made that deal and, so uh, I have to honor that. Um, so I have to fit the stuff in around around that in a, in a way. You know, that sometimes that means getting up at five in the morning and, and making a, a feed run or whatever. Or maybe that means even taking a day off, you know, taking a vacation day and going and being a farmer for a day. Um, like a nice vacation. Yeah. So, you know, we have to fit it in around that. And that, that's that's a big challenge. Um, and, and it limits our growth. I mean, I, I think, you know, I think that if 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 I ever got to a point where I felt like I wanted to commit hundred percent to the farm, you know, I'm pretty sure we could, we could grow up pretty quickly. Uh, there's, I mean, yeah, I'd really, I mean, you'd be running on all cylinders, right? I mean, there's yeah. really like, if you're looking at what you can get done, like look at what you've accomplished from mostly just the weekends. If you could do that seven days yeah. a week, I mean, just boom. To yeah. The moon. Yeah. I mean, my part of the, part of the thing, you know, we, we talked about, my wife and I agreed that we would start off as a homestead and we would figure out what we liked and what we were good at. And if, and whatever we liked and we were good at, we would head in that direction and see if we could make a, a business out of it. And we're really at the point where we figured out that ducks and pigs and garlic are pretty easy for us to grow here. And we like them, you know, we, they're, they're enjoyable. I mean, ducks are a mess, you know, pigs are a mess, but they're, they're a good mess. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> Um, and, you know, things like garlic are really not that susceptible to pest pressure the way that, you know, um, some of the other stuff can be, um, you know, this is a great, a great area to grow food. A lot of people, you know, we go to the farmer's market. We don't bother with, we're not going to go sell tomatoes at the farmer's market. Everybody has tomatoes. Everybody has squash and zucchini and sweet corn and peppers. Everybody has all that stuff. Um, green beans, you know, that stuff. Any any gardener here can grow that without too much trouble. I'm not even I'm not even thinking about competing for that. Sure. Um, there was a guy that we're really good friends with in, in town who's doing a little um, microgreens farm. He calls he calls it Renegade, Renegade Acre. Uh, I think it's called. Um, great great guy. He's doing microgreens. You know I, I don't you know I, I don't want to go compete with him. I I want to I want to go figure out hey what can I do that it builds our community so. Um, looking for ways we can do that. I think we will push more into produce uh, market garden type stuff over the next couple of years, but we need to get some ground prepared for that. And right now, right now we're just more focused on the animals. We do, we do. And one thing I wanted to mention, you know, brought up um, talking about selling the, the pork by the cut and everything. Um, mm -hmm. South Carolina has the, for the federal exemption, South Carolina has a, um, again, under the same meat and meat, uh, and poultry handler license, uh, you can, you know, you can qualify for that federal exemption. So we qualified for the thousand bird exemption and we do on farm processing of the poultry. Um, and you know, we've done, we've done turkeys and, and chickens and ducks. Um, and, uh, you know, we're getting pretty good at it. We're not great at it, but you know, we're, my son and I, my, we can, we can knock them out pretty quickly, you know, um, by nice. the time, by the time we're, we're done with 20 or 25. We're, we're sick of it and we're going to do something else, but you know, we can handle that. So sure. Yeah. So doing that too. So you've got your permaculture food forest. Mm -hmm. 
you've got your um your goats and your pigs and your cows all keeping down the wild blackberries and and other things so what other methods practices or like yeah. techniques uh are you do you have going on well i think the the main thing that i i really want to get a lot better at is I need to, I need to get my, uh, I need to get more balanced, I would say, uh, in terms of time commitments. And, um, you know, I need to, I need to figure out what I'm doing for a business and what I'm doing for a homestead, you know? So I, and I'll, I'll address your directly address your question sure. as well. But, um, you know, one of the challenges is, you you know, I love, I love growing stuff. And, um, yeah, after my dad passed away, I started growing a lot of stuff in my backyard at that little you know courtyard house. And, uh, my grandfather had a green thumb. My dad had a green thumb. My, my dad could grow anything and it, it looks like it's hereditary. And I, I don't know what I did to deserve it, but I, I, I can make, you know, stuff grows, you know, my wife, we have to put her on weed patrol because whatever she touches, you know, it dies. So we're like, Hey honey, you just to take care of the weeds over there. Let us plant the stuff, you know? Um, and uh, anyway, I, I, I really enjoy just, I, I just love walking around, you know, figuring out how to make stuff grow. And, and, you know, we've had some pretty good success with certain crops at a, at a garden, you know, homestead or, or, you know, personal scale. Um, I think we could do more there, but uh, I think that the things I'm really, uh, I really want to work on is getting a better balance and working on that rotational grazing, um, especially with the pigs. I want to get them in the right, you know, get the paddock set up better, get them moving uh, at a more appropriate interval. I mean, we left them a little longer where they've been uh, on purpose, but I want to, you know, we're getting, as we push across where they are right now, we'll get to some, some uh, old stand deciduous hardwoods. And I would love to have them get in an area for, you know, a week and a half, two weeks and then move. And I think it would be just incredible for that area, for that forest. Um, I'd like to, we're, we're planting some trees, we're working at on a, like a silver pasture kind of system. Um, and uh, the other thing I'd like to get more into is is uh, starting plants from cuttings and stuff like that. So those are things I'm kind of interested in and, and working on. Um, I think uh, I'd love to do like a, a, you know, have like a permaculture nursery kind of thing where I could help other other people who are interested in getting started with a homestead or doing some permaculture. I could say, hey, here's something that's worked well for us and, and be able to pass on a few plants to them. Um, That'd be cool. I think that where we need to go from a business perspective, I mentioned earlier, market gardening, we need to, we need to figure out how we're going to do that. And I don't really have a good, uh, I don't have a good vision of how we're going to accomplish that. I don't have the experience or the knowledge right now to really make that happen. I've been reading Elliot, Elliot Coleman's book. Um, <laughs> I, I need, I need to learn more about it. Um, you know, Chase, uh, I mentioned Chase earlier from Woodman Valley farms. He's, yeah, he's, uh, you know, he, he, he's, he's a little bit of a critic, I guess, and, and which is what I asked for, you know, but, um, yeah, we definitely need to improve there if we're going to make a business out of this. Um, sorry, I thought you were going to go on. Oh, to, no, I don't know. I don't know what else. Yeah, no, that's all right. So, so it seems you got like a good, good flow going, you know, there's a lot that you want to improve on and whatnot. So what would you say that's working well? I mean, the, you know, the, the pigs are working well They're I just would like to move them more, but they're working well. Sure. Um, you know, the, the, the things that we've done really well, we have a, the other thing we have, I didn't mention, we have a 20 by 60 hoop house. Um, nice. and yeah. And so that's another area where I got to figure out if I'm a homesteader or a farmer, right? Because that's a huge asset from a farming perspective in terms of like greens production and stuff like that. And the homesteader in me and, and the, you know, the aspiring horticulturist in me um, has filled it up with uh, tropical citrus plants and bananas and stuff like that. So, so that's the kind of thing that, you know, if, if we're, again, if we're going to be, if we decided to get more serious about being farmers and, and really making a business out of it, we would need to, to either scale that back or, or relocate it to an area of the property that's more of a homestead and a part of it and, and really focus on getting that going for a, um, you know, from a productive capacity kind of point of view. Sure. I have heard that you might be able to get a grant for a high tunnel. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I didn't know if that was common knowledge or. I, I, there was a, 
there was a time frame where I think up until like November 19th, they were taking applications and um, I wasn't able to get anything in for that. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I'm aware of that program. I need to look into that, see if there's another, another deadline coming up. Sure. So then what didn't work so well? Uh, the biggest issue we're having is predation, especially with the chickens. Mm. Um, we were trying to do, I, I built, I built these really cool mobile coops and uh, just really enjoyed that. It was cool watching the chickens, you know, come out every morning and everything. And then uh, we've got pretty good populations of pretty much every predator you can imagine here. Um, and uh, especially the pullets when they were, you know, uh, say when they were seven, eight weeks old, they would just disappear. Um, just get carried mm. off by ospreys or hawks or something like that. Um, raccoons, foxes, um, I don't. I haven't seen the coyotes kill a chicken yet, but I'm pretty sure we've lost at least at least a, a few animals to to the coyotes as well. It was interesting when we moved here. Uh, you didn't hear them very very much. You'd hear them, but they sounded really really distant. Now you hear them, and they're on top of us. I mean, I, I, wow. I yeah. And and I, uh, my neighbor said that they kind of had, in his experience they've rotated. So they'll 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 come through here and then they'll kind of migrate. So right now we're, we're watching out for them. We lost a couple of goats a few weeks ago. We think that's what happened. So predation is probably the one thing that we have got to figure out how to manage. Um, we're going to need to have livestock guardians, um, which we don't have except for the donkeys. Um, and we're going to have to do more in terms of shelter and fencing. We, we've, we've switched all the chickens into tractors. We're no longer using the, the mobile coops with the electric netting that just isn't successful. Um, and uh, so that's been the biggest challenge and the biggest frustration. Um, and, you know, it, it hurts my soul uh, to see these animals uh, get, gets uh, right. It's, it's part of the cycle, you know, the circle of life, but it's still, I feel, I feel like a failure as a farmer when I don't protect the animals adequately. Sure. I can totally understand that. Yeah. Um, did you follow a specific style or plan when doing the mobile coop? Nah, man, I kind of made it up as I went along. I, I, um, I just did a single pitch, you know, it looks like a little single pitch shed, you know, and, sure. uh, I used, uh, what is that stuff called T one eleven or something like that? Uh, yeah. I used that stuff. And uh, the first one I built, um, it, it's, it's solid, man. I think it, he <laughs> could roll that thing down a hill and it would just, you know, plop back up on its wheels and <laughs> off you go, but, uh, a little bit heavy, but it was just easy for the kids to move you know, was the thing. It could hold about 15 or 20 birds pretty comfortably. Um, and uh, sweet spot was right around 16 or 17 would be comfortable in there. And uh, so we could move the netting and, and just roll the coop over to the next spot. And, and underneath their coop, what we did the first season, we did this. Every time we moved them, we would plant a little garden plot under un, where the coop had been. And we yeah. had beautiful like butternut squash and pumpkins we would put the really heavy feeders like the cucubits there and they would just go crazy uh, it was pretty cool watching that process but just not we just cannot protect them well enough right now so we're gonna have to figure out how to fix that hmm so are you you're saying that the predator problem is your biggest challenge by far yeah, yeah. easily yeah gotcha so then what what are your like goals for the farm? Are you still in that stuck in like that, like lay awake at night? Am I a homesteader? Am I a farmer? Kind of like mentality. Where where are you trying to take it? Well, you know, like I like I mentioned before, I've got to I've got to maintain the right balance. I mean, I have to maintain my sanity first of all, right? I I, I have a tendency to kind of put a lot on myself, and uh, I can I can really make it hard for me to like. So I'll sit here. I'll work all day with my, my day job. And then I'll, I'll feel like I have to go do something for the farm and I'll, you know, I'll go, you know, whatever, um, do whatever I can. It's really hard when the days are shorter with, in terms of daylight. Um, cause you know, during the summer I can, I can squeeze in an hour, hour and a half at night, not too much trouble. Oh, I don't yeah. like, I don't watch TV. So that's no big deal. I mean, it's, it's relaxing for me. It actually energizes me to go do something like that outside and, uh, with the animals or with plants, whatever that really energizes me. Uh, so it's a lot, you know, a lot of people, I used to get at when I, when we lived in South America, um, people, you know, I would leave the office on Friday and, uh, 
you know, some of my colleagues would say, Hey, man, you've, you've had a, you've had a really long week. You need to get some rest, man. I hope you get some rest over the weekend. And then I'd come back on Monday and they'd be like, Hey, did you get some rest? And I'd be like, man, we went and uh, we hiked, you know, like, you know, 20 kilometers on Saturday. It was awesome. And they're like, what is wrong with you? You know, like I just, you know, I'm a restless soul. I don't like to sit down and, and, you know, watch TV that what relaxes me is to go do something. I got to go do something with my hands or, or something. So, um, it's a good rest for me, but I, I, um, I have to keep that balance and not put too much on myself. I, I can get my vision and my dreams can get a little ahead of my reality when it comes to the time that I have. So I'm, I'm trying to be careful about that. But I mean, my ultimate goal is to retire and be a farmer. I don't know what the timing for that is right now, but I would love to have the opportunity to, you know, make a go at this before I'm too old to, to really work it. Um, so that's, that's where I'd like to see it go. But I, I, I am in a bit of, I think the, not so much stuck between being a homesteader and a farmer. I'm more stuck between, you know, am I going to commit to this as a re- a source of revenue and profit, or am I going to continue to do this as a homesteader who has a little bit of cash on like a, you know, a side hustle and get a little bit of money on the side. You know, that's really the, the conundrum right now is solving that problem. What, you know, what level of commitment we want to make to that. So then how do you define homestead versus a farm? Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is, this is the conversation I was having with, um, with Chase. And I've also had a similar conversation with Joel Salatin. Um, I've been fortunate enough to, I've been on a tour his farm three times and, uh, nice. him a few times. yeah, he's not too far. I can drive up there in, you know, six or seven hours. So, but, um, uh, that's actually one of the things that switched my mind into doing this actually is the first time I went up there. I, I was like, I'm listening, I'm watching. I'm like, I, I could totally do this. I could do this. It was right after my dad passed away and I just started growing up stuff in my backyard and I went and saw Joel Salatin's farm. And I thought, dude, I could do this. Like, you know, <laughs> not that it's easy, but I mean, I could do this. I would, I'd be willing to work hard enough to do this, you know? But sure. anyway, um, you know, tour, touring his farm and everything, you know, you, you know, he talks about the holons and and the different enterprises on the farm and how you stack them. Um, there's a thriving farmer podcast. Listen to, to Michael a little bit. He talks a little bit about how you stack the enterprises. I think that's something that we have to think through better. Um, but, uh, you know, when you start, when you talk about homesteading, I think, you know, like this, my, my little citrus thing, that's, kind of a hobby it's not going to make me a lot of money unless i decide to start you know a, a citrus nursery but i'm in zone yeah. 8a i i'm i mean I, I could do it i would be really really stretching the limits of of nature and energy usage to make that really work you know what i mean um so i probably i probably need to figure out how to relegate those things to an area of the farm that's that's something that's easy to take care of that i'm not stressed about it and then you know really leverage the productive capacity of the infrastructure like the hoop house and stuff like that so i think that's what i'm trying to talk about when i say homestead and farm the farm is the enterprise that's going to actually generate you know revenue it's going to pay for the homestead for the lifestyle um and uh I, i have to figure out which ones are which ones are which and and put them in their right you know priority so you know if if i've got to make a decision between uh, citrus trees getting uh, uh, an extra cup of fertilizer or feeding pigs i have to feed pigs because pigs make us money you know what i mean that's that's really what i'm kind of talking about i guess sure yeah that's fair enough yeah so with all that being said what would you tell people that want to get started in homesteading or farming i guess yeah i mean i think the most important thing is uh is to start um i, I think the biggest challenge for me, uh, we, we did, I'll just tell you a quick story. I did a, yeah. we did a solar, uh, we run the farm basically on solar. We can't grow much beyond where we are right now on, on that solar system, but we've run the farm successfully since 2017. We, we are, we installed the solar the first time. Uh, we've run our irrigation, our, our, all our water for the livestock. We're running our freezers. All of that's on solar. Wow. So I, that's amazing. When I started doing the solar install, I I joke I jokingly say I didn't know what a volt was, right? Um, I didn't know I didn't know anything about electricity, um, but I I just decided I wasn't gonna be afraid. I was just gonna go figure it out, and I you know I got some people to tell me a few things here and there, and um, you know 
watched a bunch of videos on YouTube and, um, you know, just, just researched it. And, and I was super careful. I would test it every time, double check everything. And, uh, you know, we've learned a lot of lessons. We didn't get it right the first time. We, we didn't have, uh, just a few little things that people that do solar probably, you know, would know, but I didn't know. And sure. Um, but that's the thing is like, just start, you know, uh, you know, do something on your balcony. If you're in an apartment somewhere, do something on your balcony. If you're, um, you know, if you're in the suburbs or if you're in a, if you're in a courtyard, like I was, you're in a courtyard home, Hey, you know, throw up a raised bed and hide it from the HOA for a couple of years, you know, just start, do something. Um, or maybe go, you know, at least be a customer, man, be a customer of a guy like me. Who's just trying to, trying to figure it out. You know, go, go, go say, Hey, local farmer guy that, that dream big. And, you know, he was trying to hold down your corporate job and do this at the same time. I'd love to buy some of your pork chops. Uh, I think um, that'd be super appreciated. So I think just starting anywhere, um, I, I guess the, the biggest pitfalls that I think I've fallen into is going out there and getting the, and, and it's part of the same thing that makes me, I guess, impulsive enough to go try to build a solar system, but um, getting the animals before I had the shelter or the fencing ready, you know, like doing some stuff like that where you're like, Hey, let's get some stuff sure. and you're not ready. So I'd say there's a balance there between just start and, and maybe, you know, get some things prepared before you jump. But I would say in general, start and then, um, you know, try to be mindful not to, not to get too far out, uh, you know, ahead of yourself but sure i got a friend like that it seems like every weekend he's got like a new like animal or like whatever and he's like yeah so i'm you know i'm building infrastructure to do this because i picked up ducks on you know wednesday or like oh by the way i'm also digging a pond for the ducks and by the way uh i'm picking up geese and my brother dropped off three cows like all this right. stuff just like dude you what are you doing man like yeah. But it's it, it. He's making it work, dude. He hustles like crazy, like someone I've like That's, no one I've ever met. So it's the only way, man. But but you know, I, I, I'll just tell you another quick story if you don't mind. Yeah. The, yeah. When we got the, Go when we got the cows. Um, that you know the cow when we bought her, she was bred the first jersey we got, and um, it was a, a dairy was shutting down, and and um, you know what what I don't know they they aren't registered or anything that you know. But he said they were jerseys. They looked like jerseys, and you know she seemed like a pretty decent looking cow and all that as well as we knew, you know, um, we brought her home. We had the fence all set up. We had water, all that, you know, we had some hay. She was good to go. Well, I uh, called the vet and I said, Hey, could you come do a pregnancy check? And the, the people at the vet's office are like, well, you know, do you have like a shoot or anything? I'm like, no, nah, I don't. She goes, well, he's got one he can bring. I'm like, okay. I had no idea. You know? So the vet shows up. He's like, what's, what is this? You don't have anywhere to catch the cow. I can't just like run across a pasture trying to catch your cow to give her a pregnancy check. What, what is this? You know? And so, you know, we, I spent uh, a couple of weeks, you know, researching, I, I read Temple Grandin's book on how to handle livestock or I can't remember what it's called, but, um, and then we designed a little thing. We threw it up and, um, and the next time the vet came, I'm like, yeah, here she is. She's in the, she's in the shoot. She's in the head gate, ready to be, ready to be examined. And, you know, he's like looking at me going, you know, what's again, kind of like, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> But yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know any better. Right. I, yeah. I still didn't know any better. I got educated. Um, you know, we had some unfortunate situations with the uh, first try at bottle calves and, you know, it's an expensive lesson, but I, I figured that that bill was basically tuition. You know, we, we learned, we learned how to take care of a bottle calf that's, that's struggling. And, um, you know, there's some hard knocks, you know, I, I think that the one thing I'll say, I've, I've been very fortunate because of, because of my job. One reason I, I protect my job and try to be, um, you know, put that first to a certain degree is, um, it does afford us the, uh, the resources to make some mistakes along the way. Sure. You got a little bit of a financial buffer. Yeah. yeah. That never hurts to have ever. No. No, this it's, it can be expensive. You know, it, it can definitely be expensive. Yeah. So, well, awesome. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention? Did we forget anything or? No, I don't think so. You know, uh, like I said, I, this is a big leap of faith for me to put myself out there like this. So I, I think that's probably pretty good. Yeah. For now. I appreciate you being here. Honestly, this is, this has been great. Um, so yeah, 
Do you want to plug anything specific? Just just Twitter or got anything? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I hope I hope in a couple of weeks, um, a couple of weeks or a month or so, we'll have some sort of website going. But right now, I, I do mostly it's it's Facebook and Twitter. We have a farm page on both. We have an Instagram. My wife does, um, and she puts very tastefully done photographs there because uh, she's she's got a great eye for that stuff. Um, but you know, I, I talk on Twitter. I, I kind of talk about I I think you know the the ethos behind all of this. You know the the idea of of you know being uh, just really rooted in your community and and eating sustainably and taking care of the land and the animals. Um, you know, I think people find it a paradox that you know you can love and care for an animal and then take it to the slaughterhouse. And uh, you know, right. I make it a point. You know, yeah, I make it a point of saying thank you to the animals, and we say a prayer before we slaughter the chickens, and we just feel like there's a spiritual connection with the animals there, and uh, you know, that's that's what I love. I love I love that feeling of connectedness to the physical, and and um, yeah, it's beautiful. That's well said. Thanks. Very good. So yeah, follow fellow uh, Jeffrey on Twitter at Long Story Farms. Um, yep. I think that's where he's most active and uh, you can follow farm hop life everywhere. And I appreciate you being with me today. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Matt. Enjoyed it. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear from you. Please leave a comment review or send us an email farmhoplife at gmail.com. Those are always great to read like and subscribe as well. But most important is sharing this podcast. We really appreciate it. You can check us out on all the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, float, me, we, and odyssey. Farmhop.life is where you can see stuff that we post on our social media pages and sign up for our email list so we can stay in touch. Farmhoplife.com is the main site where we'll have lots of exclusive stuff that we don't share anywhere else and some merchandise to help us keep going. Additionally, you can listen to the podcast there and add it to your player of choice. Also, where you can sign up for our email list to let you know of new episodes, interviews, or big changes. Check it out. Thanks. Thank you.